and God's given us ten commandments. So we, we did, Ryan did the first three last week, and if you weren't here when I introduced the ten commandments, that might be an important place to go, because um, if, if you really are anyone, you probably misunderstand why God gave Israel, and why he gives Christians even to this day, rules and laws and ways to live, okay? So uh, there were six reasons I talked about, and uh, they're not what you might expect. And one of the things that's important to say before we get into any of these sermons on the Ten Commandments is that the law was never meant to save you. Just by trying to follow the law or being better than others at following the law, it will not save you. And that was true back in Israel, and it's true for Christians to this day. You cannot save yourself through the following of the law. That's not why the law is given. So we're going to look today at the fourth commandment, which is a commandment on Sabbath. But remember that. Keeping the Sabbath will never save you. So before uh, we read the text, what I'd like to do is just acknowledge that uh, there's many plagues in our land. um, And there's a plague that's actually been going on for a very long time. And it's what I'll call, and others have called, hurry sickness. And the question is, how bad do you have hurry sickness? I don't even think I need to pretend that any of you don't have hurry sickness. Because you're trained as a child, and your heart is deceptive, And you will have it if you live in this country in particular. So I'm going to do something just to start us off. A little inventory. So I'm going to read ten symptoms of hurry sickness. And I want you to see if any of these ring true. Now maybe they're not true of you all the time. But how many of these? I want you to keep track. How many of these do you experience at least part of the time? Okay? And then we're going to see how... The Sabbath might be God's balm for hurry sickness. So we ready? Here we go. We're going to put these up on the screen. They should, if you're watching online, you should be seeing those as well. Number one is irritability. Do you get mad, frustrated, or just annoyed? By the way, before I start, I got to give this is uh, this is an inventory that's in this book by John Mark Comer, a pastor in Portland, called "The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry." It's been really helpful. Uh, for me this week. Uh, this is his inventory. So if you don't like any of it, it's Pastor John at the Brid- Bridgetown Church. Okay, no, so irritability. Do you get mad, frustrated, or just annoyed way too easily? Do little normal things irk you? Do people have to tiptoe around your ongoing low-grade negativity, if not anger? Word of advice from a fellow eggshell expert. To self-diagnose, don't look at how you treat a colleague or neighbor. Look at how you treat those closest to you, your spouse, your children, your roommate. Number two, hypersensitivity. All it takes is a minor comment to hurt your feelings, a grumpy email to set you off, or a little turn of events to throw you into an emotional funk and ruin your day. Minor things quickly escalate to major emotional events. Depending on your personality, this might show up as anger or nitpickiness or anxiety or depression or just tiredness. The point is, 
The ordinary problems of life this side of Eden have a disproportionate effect on your emotional well-being and relational grace. You can't seem to roll with the punches. Number three, restlessness. When you actually do try to slow down and rest, you can't relax. You give Sabbath a try and you hate it. You read scripture but find it boring. You have quiet time with God but can't focus your mind. You go to bed early but toss and turn with anxiety. You watch TV but simultaneously check your phone, fold laundry, get into a spat on Twitter. Your mind and body are hyped up on the drug of speed and even when they don't and even or sorry, and even when they don't get the next dopamine fix, they shiver. Number 4. Work, uh, workaholism or just nonstop activity. You just don't know when to stop. Or worse, you can't stop. Another hour, another day, another week. Your drug of choice is accomplishment and accumulation. These could show up as careerism or even as obsessive house cleaning, errand running. The result, you fall prey to, quote, sunset fatigue whereby at day's end you have nothing left to give to your spouse, to your children, to your roommates, to your loved ones. They get the grouchy, blunt, overtired you. It's not pretty. Number five, emotional numbness. You just don't have the capacity to feel others' pain, or your own pain for that matter. Empathy is a rare feeling for you. You just don't have the time for it. You live in this kind of constant absent-mindedness. Number six, out-of-order priorities. You feel disconnected from your identity and your calling. You're always getting sucked into the tyranny of the urgent, not the important. Your life is reactive, not proactive. You're busier than you've ever been, yet you still feel like you don't have time for what really matters to you. Months often go by, or years, or God forbid, maybe even decades, and you realize that you're still, you still haven't gotten around to all the things that you said were the most important in your life. Number seven, lack of care for your body. You don't have time for the basics. Eight hours of sleep a night, daily exercise, healthy home-cooked food, minimal stimulants, margin, you gain weight. You get sick a lot, multiple times a year. You regularly wake up tired. You don't sleep well. You live off of the four horsemen of the industrialized food apocalypse, caffeine, sugar, processed carbs, alcohol. Number eight, when you're too tired to do what's actually life-giving for your soul, you return to your distraction of choice, overeating, overdrinking, binge-watching Netflix, browsing social media, surfing the web, looking at pornography. Name your preferred cultural narcotic. Now, narcotics, some can be good, healthy even, on an occasional short-term basis when they shield us from unnecessary pain, but when we abuse them to escape from reality, they eat us alive. You find yourself stuck in the negative feedback loop of socially acceptable addictions. Number nine, slippage of spiritual discipline or spiritual practices. If, you've, if you're anything like me, when you get over busy, the things that are truly life-giving for your soul are the first things to go rather than your first go-to. 
such as quiet time in the morning, reading scripture, prayer, Sabbath, worship on Sunday, a meal with your community, and so on. Because in an ironic catch-22, the things that make for rest actually take a bit of emotional energy and self-discipline. So when you get over busy, you get overtired. When you get overtired, you don't have the energy, the discipline, or the discipline to do what you need to do most for your soul. Repeat, repeat. The cycle begins to feed off its own energy, and instead of life with God, we settle for life with Netflix and a glass of cheap wine. Number 10, isolation. You feel disconnected from God, others, and your own soul. On those rare times when you actually stop to pray, and by pray I don't mean just ask God for stuff, I mean to sit with God in the quiet. When those times do come, you're so stressed and distracted that your mind can't settle down long enough to enjoy the Father's company. Same with your friends when you're with them. You're always with your phone or you're a million miles away in your mind running down a to-do list. And even when you're alone, you come face to face with the void that is your soul and immediately you run back to a familiar groove of busyness and digital distraction. Where are we at? When I first went through this, all 10 of my fingers, all 10. I don't say this to shame you or to shame myself. I say this to say, we've got a problem. This is the good news. God's given us the balm and he gave it to us a long time ago. We just need to what? The the fourth commandment will tell us, remember the Sabbath. God, God knew that this is the way sin would affect us. I mean, think about it. They needed a Sabbath 3,500 years ago. Think of how much more distracting and fast-paced our life is today. And so what we'll see and what we must remember about the law of God, it's not this rule, it's just to catch us in the act. God gives us the law for our good. He wants us to have life and life to the full And so we'll see, and this is why we've broken out the Sabbath to its own day. The Sabbath is this linchpin between the first three commandments, which are all about love your God, and the last commandments, which are about loving your neighbor. And so the Sabbath ties to both. So you won't love God well, and you won't love your neighbor well if you don't learn the Sabbath. Jesus said this. If you forget everything else about this sermon, remember Jesus said this. Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. God is giving us and he's pleading with us. He made it one of his ten rules so that we would not forget to rest in him because we've got a problem and we're dying. So we must turn back to the law, to the ten commandments, and we must set apart a day unto the Lord. So let's look at the text. Exodus chapter 20. We're actually going to look at two because... Of the Ten Commandments, uh, the Sabbath comes up more than once. So it first comes up in in the first list here in Exodus chapter 20. So we're going to look right here at verses 8 through 11. Let me read it for us. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Work is not bad. You must work too. To truly enter into the fullness of life, all your work. But then the seventh day is a Sabbath 
to Yahweh your God. Anytime you see Lord in all capital letters in your Bible, that's actually the personal name that God gave to Israel, Yahweh. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner within your gates. For in six days Yahweh made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, now turn. So what we get is the rest of the Ten Commandments. Then we get a bunch of like case law, which is like how do you live out the Ten Commandments in certain instances. Um, And then we also get a bunch of other stuff about building the temple and preparing the temple or the tabernacle, which would be the center place of worship. And we'll come back to that. Six chapters of that, preparing the worship corporate worship space for God's people, and then he comes back to the Sabbath, right before finishing this whole section on the law. So this is in chapter 31, verse 12, says this, and Yahweh said to Moses, quote, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. That you may know that I, Yahweh, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Just a quick pause here. This is intense. I mean, are they really killing people that don't keep the Sabbath? It doesn't seem so because the very next thing says they shall be cut off or excommunicated or put outside of the people. But that is a death to them because they're being taken away from the life of the community, the life that's found in Yahweh. I don't think there was an actual a lot of execution. I don't think exactly that's what God's saying here. But he's saying this is that serious that it leads to death to forget. And we've seen that because most of us got to hand number two on the symptoms of hurry sickness. So whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall uh, work be done, but on the seventh day, it's a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to Yahweh. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord, that's Yahweh, made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And then chapter 18 just says, And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking to him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of this testimony. Tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And then the scene is over. So you got the Sabbath there in the, in the ten, and then he pulls it out at the very end. Let me remind you of this again. This is a very important thing. You say, like, I didn't realize it was this important. Why didn't anybody tell me? <laughs> it's like, it's that important, okay? To the point where people are being kicked out of the community for not keeping the Sabbath. So what is going on here? What is God actually wanting his people to do why is this so important why does he keep bringing this up over and over again so i'm going to start here by talking about the principle of the sabbath and and it's not just an arbitrary rule what it's actually trying to accomplish and teach people and bring people into trying to bring you into something much bigger than yourself 
It's not just therapeutic, though when you practice it, you will experience restfulness. Something so much bigger happening. Now, the first thing to notice here is this idea of it is being set apart, okay? So the Sabbath is holy. What does that mean? Well, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Holiness um, is, is not just sort of righteousness or, or living the right way. Holiness is about being set apart, living differently, being different. So when we talk about the Sabbath, the thing that we need to remember is this is a day of the week that's supposed to look different than all the other days of the week. It's set apart. It's holy. It's one of a kind. So why is that? Why is this so important that we set one day apart? Well, the answer is, in part, because the rest of the world doesn't do that. The rest of the world doesn't set anything apart as holy or special or other. And God says, I want you to do that because I want you to be a set apart, a holy nation that looks different. Now, when you do that, some things will happen and people will look at you and see that your life is different and holy and set apart and ask you, is that related to why you're experiencing a lack of hurry sickness? Why you're experiencing life more to the full, why you're actually present, why you're actually engaged, why you're actually able to be present for your family and your kids and your friends. Is that related to this set-apartness of, of this day? Tell, tell me more about that. Why, how are those things related? So part of it is to make so obvious that something very special and different is happening in the rhythmic life of a God follower, of a Yahweh follower, of a Jesus follower. And so part of that set-apartness is, is also what you might call an act of resistance, as Walter Brueggemann says, Sabbath as resistance. And it's a resistance that you must enter into because it's hard not to just make the Sabbath like every other day. You have to resist. This is hard to do. It doesn't just happen naturally. So you resist the desire to keep the speed and the way and the pursuits of the world around you. You resist that urge. You say, like, how am I going to compete in the workplace uh, with those guys that just work seven days a week? They're going to surpass me. God says, resist that. That's not life. You say, but it seems like it's life. I know it seems. Just trust me. So it's an act of resistance. Turn, turn with me to Deuteronomy 5.15. Deuteronomy is... The second law, meaning um, Moses, after their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, spoiler alert, doesn't go well for the Israelites. They don't do very well at following God's commands, and so it takes them 40 years, which what should have took them just maybe a year or so, to get to the promised land. And so Deuteronomy is at the end of Moses' life, the end of this journey, right before he dies, and they get to enter into the promised land. Oh yeah, another spoiler alert, Moses dies. He doesn't actually get to get in the promised land. Sorry to, yikes, break that to you. But... Um, in Deuteronomy 5.15, we, we have a rehearsing of the Ten Commandments, and he says it a little bit different, so let me read it to you here. Again, I don't think I have a slide for this one, but it says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. This is how he starts the Sabbath command, that you were a slave. Oh, sorry, verse 12. <laughs> That's how he ends it, actually. Verse 12, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor. And do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God. On it you shall not do any work, and you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your ox, your donkey, 
in any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and Yahweh your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, Yahweh your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So, so in the first telling of the law, he, he focuses on this idea that God himself, that the Sabbath is rooted in how God created in six days and rested on the seventh day. And then he says, and in addition to that, if you read Deuteronomy, the second telling of this law, he's saying, listen, remember that you were a slave, that you were in bondage, and guess what bondage probably meant? No time off. They didn't get to rest. Their master made them work. And God, God's saying this to his people. He's saying, listen, you have a tendency to forget the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is a proclamation and a praise to your God who released you from that master who worked you seven days a week. And now you have a new master, and I'm your master. And I say, you must rest. So resist the temptation to go back to those old masters, back to those old slave drivers who will work you and work you and work you. You're under a new ownership. You're under the ownership of Yahweh, who doesn't need you to work seven days to accomplish what he can do in six. You see, you see what's going on here? He's saying, don't fall into the same trap that you fell into the first time. You have a new boss. And this boss says, listen, I can give you anything that you want at any time. I don't need you to work for it. And so practicing the Sabbath is rehearsing and proclaiming to the world that you serve a master that can give you anything and doesn't need you to work for it. You see how profound that is? You see how profound it is to actually live your life as if God is providential? As if God is your provision? As if God is your provider? That's part of what the Sabbath is, that you're saying, everyone's looking at you like, hey, you're not going to get ahead if you don't live at this speed, at this pace. Everyone's going to outpace you. And God's saying, I can take you anywhere you want to go. I am the all-powerful, omnipotent. I created it all. And you're going to rehearse that and proclaim that to the world by taking the day off. Because God is your provider. Not your work. What What a beautiful testimony. We're no longer slaves to this world. Christ is our master. That's part of what you do by remembering the Sabbath. The second thing you do, you proclaim that everything God has given you is enough. It's enough. You see, think about God himself, because the Sabbath, is all the law we've talked about, is rooted in the very nature and character and action of God himself. God's saying, I... Worked six days, if you go read Genesis, and it was very good. And then he said, and so I rested. What is God saying? He's saying, listen, if, if I, the God who can create the heavens and the earth, design it all, get to a point in my creating where I say, that's it. It's enough. Who are you as my creation to come along and say, 
it's never enough. I've always got to have more. See what God's saying? He's saying, I'm, my ways are not the ways of the world. The way I think is so different. I do not live and exist in a way that I must keep creating and going nonstop. At some point, I say, that's good. It's good enough. Now let's enjoy it. So this is so opposite from the way the world is, right? Because the world is always just telling you this. Your friends are telling you this. Coworkers are telling you this. Advertisers are telling you this. Just one more. Just one more. If you just had one more, then you'd feel fulfilled. Then you'd be satisfied. Then it would feel like enough. Just one more. Just one more. The problem is you could say just one more over and over for the rest of your life, and you will. Just one more show tonight. Just one more zero on my bank account. Just one more year of partying. Just one more sexual conquest. Just one more stamp on my passport. Just one more and then it'll be enough. The answer is that's a lie. It's never enough, is it? You just keep going and you keep going and you keep going. And this is so other than how God himself is an axe. I kind of geek out on this. Maybe I wouldn't call myself a huge sci-fi fan, but I love Star Wars, Star, you know, Star Trek, and stuff like that. But I think about this idea like part of the reason that we create these worlds in our imagination, uh, we can we can apply that. Even somebody geek out for a second. We can apply that to God. I said like, well, wouldn't it be better if God didn't just create this one universe? Like, maybe he created a bunch of other universes. Because in my mind, I believe the lie that more is better. Like, the greatest possible being couldn't just create one universe and be happy with it. He'd have to keep creating other verses and other universes and other universes, right? So I think, like, well, maybe he must have because just one more is better than what is. Right? This sort of answers the question for me. God's told us, no, no. <laughs> It's good. It's very good. It's enough. And now I'm going to enjoy life with my creation. Just one more to God. He said, that's not how I think. You're getting that. You're picking that out from somewhere else. That's the way the world thinks. Just one more. That's not the way God thinks. And the Sabbath reminds us of that. That's enough work for this week. Now enjoy it and rest. You see, the word Shabbat in Hebrew can mean both stop, stop working, and also enjoy. Those two things are intertwined on the Sabbath. Stop, but it's not just stopping to stop, and it's enjoying that which God has already given you. Now you say like, well, Is this Sabbath tied to any of the other Ten Commandments? Think about this. What did Ryan talk about last week? What's the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods besides me. What's the second commandment? Thou shalt not make carved images, idols, and worship those as if they're gods. What's God saying? One is enough. I'm enough. You don't need to go just have one more God because that was what the religious landscape was of the day. Just, what, what, what's the problem with having one more God? Oh, we can, we can worship Yahweh, and we'll also worship this. Nothing wrong with that. And God said, yes, there is. Thou shalt have no other gods but me. Just one more is a sin. 
You see, so they're tied together. God's saying, I'm enough. What I've given you is enough. Stop wanting more. Spoiler alert, doesn't take long after the giving of the law before the Israelites do just that. And they make a golden calf and they worship it as if it's a god. And God's saying, I told you I'm enough. You see, so this is, this, this is happening all the time. We're always saying, sure, I'll worship God. He's my number one, but I'll just add one more thing to my smorgasbord of worship. God says, no, that's actually going to lead to death, not life. So the principle is here, more is not always better. What God has given you is enough. Fight the urge, resist the urge to go with the world and just say, just one more. And trust God. Trust him that what he's given you is enough. And rest and enjoy what he's given you. Shabbat. Sabbath. So how do I do that? (laughs) You're probably like, okay, I get that. Principle makes sense. How do I do it? Two questions at least came into my mind. The first is, should I set an entire day aside, or is the Sabbath principle just sort of an abstract idea of resting? Well, good question. The second question is, should my Sabbath include corporate worship? Those are the two questions that come into my mind. Maybe they come into yours as well. Well, the first question I'll start by answering. God makes it pretty specific. He's saying, remember the Sabbath, what? Day. So at least it seems here, in this context, God's wanting an entire day set aside for Sabbath. Now, why would that be? Well, I think it, again, is rooted in this idea of the Genesis story. Six days, however long those days were, the day of of Sabbath is equivalent to the day of the six working, meaning this particular period, it's similar in time span to the other six, but this one's going to look totally different. These six you're working, this one you're not working. So it seems to me that that's part of what holiness means, being set apart as distinct and different. So day one, two, three, four, five, and six have all these similarities in length and time, but the, the seventh day has those similarities, but yet it looks totally different. So I would say seeking, pursuing, trying to to make your Sabbath day, an actual day, set apart and distinct should be a really strong desire of ours. So think about it this way, (laughs) something I thought about this week. Think about it like this. What does it mean for it to be different and distinct? Okay, so I'm going to say something now. Don't take it as gospel, just think about what it means. I'm going to tell you this. If you don't watch Netflix any other day of the week, feel free on Sabbath (laughs) to binge Netflix. (laughs) That would be making it distinct and set apart. Now I say that, we all chuckle because there's probably, maybe there's somebody out here who doesn't do that. But the idea is that this day looks totally different, and the whole day looks totally different than other days. The easiest way to see that is work, but there's other ways as well. So, I think Sabbath should be an actual day, 
And that doesn't mean uh, that there won't, things won't come in and get in the way of that. So we don't want to be too legalistic about this, okay? But it should be our desire to try to set a whole day apart. A day where we are not working, where we're focusing on God, focusing on our family, proclaiming to the world that more is not always better, that God has given us enough. So that brings us to the second question. On this day, should I engage in corporate worship? This has kind of been the way... People have understood Sabbath for a very long time that you get together with the people of God and you worship on the Sabbath. They say, like, that seems like a lot of work because like, I shower every other day of the week and, and Dave said you're not supposed to do <laughs> the Sabbath so I don't know if I want to shower and it's not nice to come to church if you haven't showered. Um, so maybe I'll just stay at home. Eh. You're bending <laughs> the truth here. Should I just rest? Or is there something more to Sabbath than rest? Or like, could I Sabbath through other things, like yoga or hiking or napping? Are are those the same as Sabbath? As long as they're things that I'm not able to do the other days of the week. Or is Sabbath something different than just rest? Let's look at the phrase. Let's look at the phrase. So back to uh, Exodus 20. Let's see if there's anything in the text that would help us answer this question. Okay? So verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is your Sabbath to Yahweh your God. To Yahweh. Okay, well let's figure out what that means. What does it mean to Sabbath to Yahweh. Um, if you may, you probably heard, maybe you've heard this sort of parenting proverb that kids spell love T I M E. Why is that? I just add to that too. If you're a parent, it's not T I M E in any way. It's T I M E plus attention <laughs> equals love. So just being with your kids, they will not receive that as love. If you're on your phone the whole time, if you're watching TV the whole time, if you're distracted doing chores and errands the whole time. So time plus attention equals love to kids. Well, who invented kids? God. (laughs) They're made in his image, which is to say, this is also how God receives love. Time and attention. So what does it mean to Sabbath to Yahweh? I think it means to give him our time and our attention. So it's not just enough to stop working, but are we turning our attention to our creator, to our redeemer, to the God of gods, the king of kings. Time plus attention equals love. And I think that's what it means to Sabbath to Yahweh. So I want to make a very strong case 
that I think that includes coming together, singing songs to Yahweh, reading the words that Yahweh gave to understand him better, and doing it with brothers and sisters and the family of faith that help us see on every face we see a little bit of Yahweh, don't we? That's a way to give him attention. I also think the text shows us that too. What did I say earlier? We have the Ten Commandments, then some case law, then six chapters of how to build the tabernacle, which was the center of the worshiping community. (laughs) And then at the end, he says, don't forget the Sabbath. Six chapters. Six chapters. We've got the Ten Commandments in one chapter. (laughs) Okay, so it's important, the center of corporate worship for the people of Israel, and Sabbath is somehow connected to that. And then the law ends, and Moses comes back down the mountain. You don't think Sabbath is important as a way to enter into the corporate worship? I think so. So I think there's there's pretty strong case that you need to figure out how corporate worship interacts with your Sabbath. Because it's not just rest, it's rest plus worship. Giving God time and attention. And that actually refuels your soul. Now, that doesn't mean that for 24 hours you need to be singing and studying scripture and praying. But you need to make it a priority on your Sabbath, to give attention to God, to read his word, to pray, to sing his worship. You'll do all sorts of other things. You can take naps, and you can drink good wine, and you can eat good food, and you can go on walks and hikes, and you can have great conversations with friends. All that can happen on the Sabbath. But it should come down the list of giving attention and worship to Yahweh. And then the way you do all those other things should be an act of worship. Oh, this apple is so good. Praise be to Yahweh, my God. I'm really going to, I'm not going to eat this apple just for fuel to do my work. I'm going to just eat this apple because I want to celebrate God. That's a part of Sabbath. So, I think we should give it a day, and I think corporate worship should be a part of that as often as possible, and then, of course, there'll be exceptions. In fact, we have stories of Jesus who (laughs) was constantly upsetting the religious uh, elites of his day because he was breaking the Sabbath in all the ways that they thought Sabbath shouldn't be broken. I don't have time to go into all of them, but Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. His disciples would uh, take grain and (laughs) as they were walking through the fields and eat it. There was all sorts of things, and this is where Jesus says his favorite thing. Uh, The Sabbath was not a man, uh, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'll tell you what's okay on the Sabbath. So we do want to be careful not to be, again, legalistic. Now, how do I know then if I'm doing Sabbath well? How will you know? Here's a little analytic exercise. Because remember, Sabbath is about stopping and enjoying. Meaning the Sabbath was made for you and it should change you. So four things. I call them the four Nesses. First is Are you experiencing in your life thankfulness? If you are never thankful, you're not Sabbathing enough. Number two, contentedness. If you're you're never experiencing or you're not experiencing very much 
contentedness, then you're not Sabbathing enough. And we'll get to this in the 10th commandment, which is all about coveting. If you're always looking at what everybody else has, and you're never content with what you have, you're probably not Sabbathing well. Number three, slowness. Maybe if you're always breaking the speed limit, even on the Sabbath, you're moving too fast. So maybe just like just on one day a week, just say, I'm going to drive the speed limit today. (laughs) I'm not going to move as fast. Now, always exceptions to the rule. Like one Sabbath, Grayson shoved a Lego up his nose, and it wasn't coming out. And I tried, and there was blood. And at some point, you just say, I can't Sabbath anymore. And so I hopped in the car and drove as fast as I could to the emergency room, and I broke all sorts of laws. That's okay. (laughs) We had to get that Lego out. His mom was working. Dear Lord, help me. Okay, so number four, slowness. So (laughs) how do you slow down your life? If you're never experiencing slowness of driving the speed, then maybe you're not Sabbathing enough. Number four, worrylessness. If you're always worrying, you're probably not Sabbathing well or enough. If you're always worrying. In the Sermon on the Mount, which Ryan talked about, are Jesus helping to re, um, reteach and help us understand the fuller picture of the commands of God. Jesus will talk about this. He'll say, if you're worrying all the time, you're doing something wrong. He'll say, listen, don't, don't I give the flowers of the field and the birds of the air everything they need? And how much more valuable are you than them? You don't think I'll give you what you need? You're worrying too much, which means you're not stopping and connecting with God and remembering who he is. So let me explain why, how those connect. Because you might be saying, well, I, I can practice thankfulness. I can practice contentedness and slowness and worrylessness without God. I can practice those things. In fact, it's quite popular. You know, it's a form of secular mindfulness, which is very popular in our culture right now. Why do I need to connect with God as well? Here's why I think. Here's why I think. I, I think um, thankfulness, there's, I think there's no true gratitude without acknowledging an external giver. So if you don't acknowledge that what you have is being given to you from somewhere outside of you, which is to say you're earning it all yourself, I don't think you'll ever enter into true, lasting gratitude. Uh, What about contentedness? I don't think contentment really comes, or true contentment really comes without acknowledging that there's a master planner, which is to say what? That God's got plans I know not of. Like he's doing something that I can't fully understand, and so even in my circumstance, good or bad, I can be content because I know of a master planner. Three, slowness. So I don't think patience can truly come without acknowledging an eternal timeline. Because if, if you think what you've got is 78 years, you will constantly be in a hurry to do more, don't miss out, fill up the passport, because you think i got to get it in now with an eternal timeline. Maybe I can actually slow down. And four, worrylessness. I don't think without true trust you will ever stop worrying. Meaning, can you truly trust by acknowledging an omnipotent, sovereign God? 
When you have that, when you acknowledge him, so that's why your Sabbath is rest, plus putting your attention to what? The eternal giver, the master planner, the one who is beyond time and is pulling eternity into the here and the now and who is omnipotent and sovereign over all. When you turn your attention to him, finally, I can be thankful and content and slow down and worry less. But without those things, here's what I think. Without those things, I think you might be able to stop and rest for a little bit, but all of that will be washed away at the next rainstorm. It'll be taken out to the sea and you'll never see it again. And you might work hard and build it up and try to get it back, but you won't ever get it all the way back without turning your attention to he who is outside of you. So why is this so hard to do? It seems so obvious. Dave, you've made an excellent case. Thanks for saying that. So why is it so hard? It's so hard because we are forgetful. That's why the the, the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath. Why? Because you keep forgetting it. Remember it. Number two, we're rebels by nature. We rebel against the limitations of time itself. John Mark Comer says that. We rebel against time itself. We don't think the rules apply to us, including the rules of time. And so we war against it because we're rebels by nature. We're contortionists, so we wiggle and move, and we try to get around the clear and obvious definitions that God has given us six days of work, one day of rest, so we try to get around it, and then it eats us away. And finally, we're fools. The Bible calls us fools, so it's okay that I call you fool. You're a fool. You think you can outsmart God. You think that you can work differently than the world and the universe that he has put together. Uh, One philosopher said it this way, um, When you fight against God's system, when you fight against God's universe, eventually you'll get splinters because you're trying to go against the way God has set it up. And then then you say to yourself, well, it didn't work that time, but maybe if I just adjust it, and you keep doing the same thing over and over again, and you get the same results, and that's what a fool does. God says, stop, rest, remember the Sabbath, turn to me, focus on me. There'll be plenty of work there for you tomorrow, plenty to do, but stop. And then God says, because you're forgetful rebels, contortionists, and fools, I'm going to send a Savior. Because you know what? You can't just fix yourself. All have sinned and fallen short of the Sabbath. All have sinned and fallen short of the commands of God. All have sinned against the design that God has ingrained on our hearts. All have sinned and all are guilty. And so God sends a Savior into our life to die the pay the penalty of that sin. God stepped in in the person of Jesus Christ because he knew we would not be able to keep these laws. Remember, that's part of why the law is given, to reveal to us that we need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. So God wants to give us rest from the guilt and the shame that we feel because we know we're fighting against him. If we're really honest, we know that we are hurry sick. We know that we just can't help ourselves from wanting one more. And God says, I'm going to give you help. And he's not just giving us forgiveness of the sin, he's also giving us forgiveness and rest from the religious striving. 
You see, because so often this idea of the Sabbath has become a religious issue. It's become this thing that we beat each other over the head with. Well, I don't like the way you're doing Sabbath. Well, I don't think you're really Sabbathing. Well, what day should we do it? And, and, and again and again, God says, stop trying to earn your salvation. And we can do that with the Sabbath all the time. We try to earn our salvation by keeping the Sabbath. That's not what I'm saying here. Keep the Sabbath because God's asked you to because he wants to give it to you for life and recognize that it will never save you. Only Jesus Christ can save you. We need rest from that as well. Rest from trying to save ourselves, which is why Jesus says, come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. From what? From trying to save yourself. Come to Jesus. Don't just try harder on the Sabbath. Actually come to him, and he will give you rest. So um, I'm out of time here, but a few quick things. Don't judge others on the Sabbath. Let your conscience convict you about how to do this. Two, you've got to prepare for the Sabbath. Remember, God gives them extra amounts of manna the day before the Sabbath so they don't have to collect on the Sabbath. You remember that in the book of Exodus? So you have to prepare for this. You can't just like all of a sudden do it. You have to say, how can I get ahead the day before so that I can actually rest and worship on the Sabbath? And then resist this urge to equate rest with ketchup. Rest does not mean, okay, get, do all the other things you couldn't do, your yard work. What did I do on my last Sabbath? My taxes. <laughs> that is not Sabbath. I was not rested. I was irritable. Well, let's go back to all 10. I was all 10 of the of worry sickness because I did my taxes on my last Sabbath, which for me is a Sabbath on Mondays. Okay, so don't just catch up on all the bills and all the other things around the house. That's not what Sabbath is. That's how the world does the weekend. It's a catch-up. That's not Sabbath. And then make sure to bless others. You heard it again and again. It's not just for you, but for everyone in your household, your son, your daughters, your servants, which is if you own a business, don't work your employees on the Sabbath. Bless others with the Sabbath as God has blessed you with the Sabbath. You can do that with your family, with your kids, with your spouse. You can work rest into your lives, into your companies, so that people experience the blessings of Sabbath. Bless others with the Sabbath, not just yourself. So, how are we doing? (sighs) Man, this is a hard week for me because I got to the end and I was just like, I am not doing well with this. And some of you might think, well, maybe maybe the pandemic has helped us because it's helped us slow down and stop. Maybe, but maybe not. The question will be for you, if, this, if the pandemic has helped you slow down and, and take some things off your plate, great, but remember, Sabbath is not just rest. Because if, if you are not careful, when you put your life back together, when you start adding things back, if you are not hyper-focused on what is the Sabbath and what is God wanting me to do, you're just going to add things back as the world adds them back. You're going to look to the world and your friends who are not following the Sabbath to tell you how to add back. That's my great fear. Yes, the pandemic has helped us slow down, but as we ramp back up, what will you put back in first? Will you put Sabbath? Will you keep it there? Or will you start putting so many other things that, you know what, Sabbath gets pushed away? Or Sabbath just becomes a catch-up day? Or Sabbath becomes something that God never intended it to be? I just need, we need to be very careful of this. 
God's given us an opportunity to reorder our lives, to create a rule of life, and to say Sabbath is that important that I'm going to keep it here. It's going to be a day of rest and of worship, and it's going to change me. The question is, will it change you? I'm going to let each of you decide. Let your conscience guide you, hopefully through prayer and crying out to God for wisdom.